Well, it's Friday, and everybody knows it's Friday. It's time to go Inside EMS. I am your host, Chris Sabalero, and Pulsera is proud to sponsor this episode of the Inside EMS podcast. Learn how you can leverage the power of network communication at www.pulsera.com slash EMS. And uh, Kelly Grayson is still on special assignment, taking care of himself and his family, his fur babies there in Louisiana as he is recovering from the hurricane. And still to this point, people are down there. They don't have electricity. They don't have water. They're having a lot of challenge. So we go ahead and send our thoughts to Kelly and everything that he's going through. But the excitement is I get to introduce once again our international correspondent and my good friend, Rob Lawrence. Rob, thanks for coming back and joining us on the show. Well, thanks for inviting me back. As always, it's a pleasure to be here. And let me just mirror what you were saying there. Kelly, we're rooting for you, mate. Um, I know from some of the briefings I've been attending on the federal level lately that, uh, you know, there are still issues there in Louisiana. Um, The power is an issue. any, Any power cable got knocked down like a matchstick a long time to restore and uh, it's still going on. And Kelly, please uh, come back soon because then we'll know things are returning to normal for us. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, we think about these natural disasters and we talked about it, you know, last week, Rod, that, you know, we just don't know. We're going to get caught with our pants down one day because of tornado or because of earthquake or because of hurricane. And we've got to be able now to think about what happens. And a lot of times I think that we, and this is not what we wanted to talk about today, but I think a lot of times we get that sense of complacency. I mean, you look at how many people during this Hurricane Laura decided not to leave, and they needed to leave. And one of the big things that they were saying, well, if you're going to stay home, make sure that you have some types of, some type of tools and equipment to cut yourself out of your attic if you need to, if the water gets too high. And uh, hopefully we're able now to start to think about Maybe we just need to uh, leave and come back when it's time. And uh, these are the things that uh, we're learning these lessons. But, uh, you know, sometimes people are just complacent or sometimes people are just uh, uh, maybe stubborn and they're not leaving their stuff because they don't know when they're going to come back. And it's a lot easier just to deal with the aftermath. What do you think? I, absolutely. And of course, uh, breaking news, we spent a lot of time last week talking about the wildfires and, uh, you know, fire update, late breaking news this week in California. You probably saw the, the lake over by Fresno, which is in the Central Valley on the right hand side up by the in the Sierra Mountains there where, you know, the, the visitors, the holiday makers, the campers were told, listen, this goes a little bit further south, you're going to have to jump in the lake. And then we're yeah. going to pluck you out. And of course, as we know, the uh, California Air National Guard came to the rescue in Chinooks and Blackhawks to pluck people out. And of course, that was an act of bravery uh, and airmanship. And of course, you're an XPJ, so you appreciate the airmanship that goes into extracting folk in circumstances such as that. But that happened this week. And so, you know, those discussions we have where if it gets too bad, we can't come and help you. Well, of course, that others may live. Chris, you know that that people did appear to uh, arrive on scene and save those folk. But I think it was a fairly close run thing. So these, these things are happening all the time. No, I have to agree with you. And I think we have a really great show today. So let's go ahead and uh, we'll switch gears, Robin. I'm, I'm going to pitch it to you and let you set it up for the listeners. Yeah. Well, we don't need to look too closely at the calendar to realize that this is the week of September 11th. And as first responders, as a public safety community, as the family that realize this is not a job, but it's a way of life, 
this is one of those weeks where we stop, we look back and we reflect on the sacrifices that our public safety colleagues, mainly firefighters, but obviously they were EMTs, they were police uh, involved, uh, ran into the impending disaster. Of course, we lament and, and mourn the loss of those that, uh, that didn't make it through, be it public safety or, of course, civilian. You know, and sometimes it, we have to just stop, look back and reflect and think, well, did we actually learn anything? It's been many years now, but uh, are we making the same mistakes again? Are there things we don't want to repeat again? We're in public safety. We are in a 911 environment. Sometimes we can't stop and have a safety stand down because the next thing is already happening. But, you know, what are those things that we need to reflect on, learn, pick up and not forget and actually carry forward? Um, a, a, a classic case that uh, this is kind of a military example, but uh, way back when, when the Gulf War came along, the, the commanders in the British Army particularly had to go back to World War II era generals and say, so what was it like for you fighting in the desert? Because we hadn't done it in 50 years. Right. And, and those lessons had been lost. And luckily, we had somebody with a little bit of sort of corporate memory, if you like. But sometimes we're in danger of reinventing the wheel after wheel after wheel after wheel because we're too busy looking forward not to think that we should learn from our past. Yeah, but I think that one of the things as well is sometimes we get complacent in that as well, right? So we think about, you know, everybody, you know, the big things on the social media sites right now or, you know, we have not forgotten or we have forgotten. And one of the things that I think, you know, we say all the time, well, I know I do, is unless you're a historian, uh, forget about yesterday and let's move forward. But one of the things that we have to be able to do is look at the past to make the determination of what mistakes do we not need to make. I mean, this is, this is where conceptualization comes in, right? We've got to be able to think about what's happened in the past and how can we make those things better. But, you know, you're right. I, I recently was, you know, coming through an airport and you couldn't believe the people that were complaining that they had to take their shoes off still or that they had to, well, remember, it's, it's you know, uh, you know, not a long time ago, in our lifetime, we had two planes crash into the World Trade Center, and now we have to think about how are we moving forward uh, from that. Uh, and it seems that people get more patriotic around this time of year, and people get more sympathetic around this time of year, and people have more understanding about this time of year. And we've got to remember that we've got to continue this throughout the process to say, this is the way life is now, and we've got to be able to make sure that this change happens. But, you know, I think you bring up a great point with going back to the generals to say, how did you all do it? Right, because uh, as, as one famous mariner once said, you know, we navigate by our wake. Um, you know, as, as I like to think that last year's budget sets up next year, you know, last year's act, financial activity creates next year's budget. So we're always looking back in order to look forward. But when we do look back, we must make sure we take those lessons away, whether it's how much we spent last year in order to commit to budget this year. Um, you know, we talk about demand analysis. What is that? It's looking how things were in order to predict how things are going to be. Uh, and so those things we take for granted. But sometimes we have to think about the big events that happen and ask, did we really learn from this? Yeah, and I think that's going around the buoy again. Yeah, but I think, you know, you have a lot of experience in EMS leadership, certainly in military leadership, uh, having gone through, and I, I, I'm sorry, I forget, I keep forgetting the, uh, um, I know you were in the British Army and the equivalent, you went to the equivalent of West Point 
yes. in the United Kingdom, and that's called what, Rob? Remind me what that is. That's called the Royal Military Academy Sandhurst, and it's okay. uh, you know a great leadership school. And the way that uh, they educate you, and I use the word education perhaps a little bit loosely, but it's the theory of the infantry platoon commander, where you you spend all your time learning how to care for people. Mm -hmm. while of course planning nasty things on others but uh, that's right even so it's one of those it's one of those one of those times where pastoral care and that's you know i i kind of thought it's an interesting it's an interesting term pastoral care I, am i the shepherd well actually perhaps i am because i'm looking after my sheep my right. my people um and of course we always taught as well there's great signs above the door this and this kind of stems back from its origins of 1812 that you know first the horses then the men then yourself uh, right. but, yeah. uh, but it's true. You know, well, when you think about it, I think you use a great word where you talk about shepherding and, you know, in the leadership space, there are a lot of people who use the term servant leadership and shepherding. Absolutely. You know, very, very uh, in the same yeah. vein. Right. But anyway, the point I was going to make EMS leadership, uh, you know, trained in the military. So when you think about this from a nine 11 standpoint, do, do, have we learned the lessons of 9-11? You know, it seems that we're still having problems with interoperability and communication. It seems that we're still having problems when it comes to, you know, getting the continuing education that we need. Have we learned our lesson or do we need something else to kick us in the pants and remind us that, you know what, this is real still? I firmly believe in everything that we do and certainly in everything that I've done, communication has always been the first battle. And it's the battle that you have to win. And communication has many subsets to it. It's communication with the people at the front line because they're probably going to, in the past, and, and certainly asked people in Richmond when we had major issues that I'm in the, my battle station was to go to the communication center. I had my spot. I would be getting information in, in order to form the bigger picture, in order to try and understand some higher level operational situation awareness because people are coming to me to go, what's going on? And I need to understand that. And so I learned this lesson the hard way over many, many years, both civilian and military, that as the commander, I have to have a picture. Um, and sometimes it means it gets, I get a little bit perhaps anal in trying to get information in quickly, but that's the, the first thing. And I, and I say, I've learned that lesson the hard way is that, you know, you have to gather the information because there is this great thing called the fog of war where there is that there is a moment when you don't know what's going on for those first few minutes sometimes those an hour or so when something's happening and it's not right but you can't work out why it's not right and you have to use all the means possible to understand what's going on um, and that's everything from you know at, on the truck it's the scene size up to in the EOC it's getting all of those information uh, the, the information picture in order to give you situational awareness and to form a common, op common operating picture. So communication in that respect is first. Communication to, to let then people know what's going on, whether it's the, the folk in your, on your own, uh, in your own organization. And of course, inevitably, it's going to be people that, have, that are going to be bugging you for information from the media. And we had one very sad incident in Richmond, I remember. Um, it was a, an officer down scenario uh, shot and it was on the news within minutes, breaking news. Of course, the news cycle is, is very, very fast. Uh, and I had the BBC Bureau from New York on the phone within about eight minutes because we were keeping a log of all these things coming in. And, you know, whilst I can't tell you anything, and I'm referring you to the State Police PIO, information is being asked for quickly now. Um, and whether it's an operation such as that, or indeed what's going on right now with civil disorder, what's going on right now with 
the, the, the wildland firefighting and of course there's a link between 9-11 and the wildland firefighting and that of course is the way that we realized we needed to have that interoperability we needed to have ways by which you know the the port police and the regular police could talk to each other and, and actually what happened was and i think we said this last week we go and look at what's happening in wildland firefighting circles in the national incident management system and say well actually i've got a system there that works with so many disparate organizations coming in to do one thing which is to fight fires right now in california i saw a the governor put out a list there's something like firefighters from nine or ten states are here right now contributing to that one thing which is to take down the four million acres of of total firefighting um, you you marveled last week chris by the way i talked about you know that one particular fire was bigger than austin mm-hmm. when you add all of the california wildfires together right now it's bigger than connecticut you know we've got we've got an equivalent of a state on fire here and yeah. it takes some it takes command control coordination computation uh communication and uh computation in fact we need data and information to understand what's going on so communication communication and one more thing communication is my first and always first thing in any situation such as this so basically what you're saying communication is important if i haven't mentioned it already communication is clearly important you know so one of the things i just want to touch on because i think that you know you talk about interoperability and in 2001, we knew the challenge with interoperability. And I'll go back to my operational days at Christian Hospital in 2014. We had interoperability issues of communicating when the state police showed up. We, we were able to talk to the county police. We were able to talk to the local police. But then when the FBI came, when the, the state police came, when everybody else came, we had no way to communicate. And when you talk about communication, one of the biggest lessons that I was taught during that civil disobedience was the amount of information that was being brought down the chain was nil. It was truly zero. And because it was zero, I had no information to share with the workforce to say, this is the latest. Now, because I had no information to share, I wasn't sharing information. And because I wasn't sharing information, their thought was I was keeping information from them. So that was a big lesson for me to say, even if you don't have information to share, share some information because people are going to think you're just keeping it from them. And I think that that's a, a, you know, that's one of my biggest lessons learned from that civil disobedience is that we've got to be able to remember the people who are on the ground, who are doing the work and give them the support they need through communication. Two things there. And uh, this is where we have the Marquis of Queensbury bust up that uh, you mentioned (laughs) last week, Chris, but uh, I I did say communication is the first battle and sometimes it is a battle. Um, the next thing is about lessons learned, and I have an issue with lessons learned because we never do. It's sometimes one of those things where we go, oh, yes, let's talk about lessons learned. I am a great fan of lessons identified, okay? These are the things that we've seen that have happened. We only learn those things through uh, actually after-action review and where we identify them, and then exercising and adjustment of policy, practices, techniques, and procedures, uh, TTP, tactics, tactics, techniques, tactics, and procedures. That's the point in which lessons are learned when we go out and exercise them or we go out next time and prove that they work. And sometimes that process is flawed 
particular and, and for sometimes for a good reason and that's we don't have time because as i mentioned we don't stop we're on the go all the time we don't have stop to, to stop stock take and then move on again but we have to be very careful about when we spot something you know if you see something say it say something we saw it we said that it was a lesson we needed to learn but we actually haven't paid attention to it and we make the same mistake over and over and over again so lessons are after action review okay when it's all over and after action review is absolutely critical having the right people in the room to be a part of that we have to be honest to work out what worked and more importantly what didn't work without pointing the finger and sometimes uh I have to say, as an Englishman watching America, sometimes we're not good at the FOB, the focus of blame, okay? And, and therefore, people don't want to say something in case it ends up being a career-limiting, you know, discussion. And sometimes we have to get these things out in the open in order to learn from them, and that's a, that's a key thing. It's a very litigious society as well. And sometimes I think that almost holds people back because of that, and we can't learn the true value of what's just gone wrong or what's just gone not so right because we're scared of the consequences. Well, you know, if, if we were in this just culture, we've spent 10 years, Chris, 10 years talking about, you know, the culture of safety, the just culture, uh, etc. But sometimes we are reluctant to come up with, well, this is what we need to learn. This is, and this is how we learn it because of that. So that, that for me is a problem. But that said, if we have a just society and a just culture and we come up with, this is what we need to learn, and we then go away and then tabletop it, exercise it, test it and adjust it then there's a chance that that lesson identified becomes for me anyway a lesson learned sometimes it's difficult and it's challenging but that's my number two if you want of things that we need to think about in the aftermath of a major incident no but i think you're right and i, I do have a follow-on question to that but before we do that you're going to go ahead and do the mid-show read so why don't you go ahead and take that break for us Okay, here's the mid-show read read by me. Pulsara is the only first net-listed mobile telehealth and communication network that connects teams across organizations. Free to EMS and receiving EDs, Pulsara 1 teams seamlessly with a single patient channel, replacing the radio report with features like live video calls, ECG and image uploads, audio, data and key benchmarks. Pulsara United includes enhanced features built to help your EMS agency provide an expanded scope of practice such as mobile integrated health and community paramedicine. Regardless of which package is right for you, Pulsara makes communicating with healthcare facilities in your region easy. Simply create a dedicated patient channel, build your team and communicate. For more information, visit pulsara.com forward slash EMS. That's P-U-L-S-A-R-A dot com forward slash ems well, it's good that you, it's good that you got the spelling right so i mean as you were reading that i mean it really is just listening to the the proper queen's english and having to listen to kelly with his with his cajun uh, uh ease kelly's uh, colloquialisms uh it really is a big difference man and i don't know that i'm used to it so you're gonna have to cut it out but you know <laughs> so, well I, I i before we carry on on, on, on a lighter note when Kelly was doing his live broadcast from the night of the hurricane, my sister was tuning in from the UK and she was getting a real kick out of his Lieutenant Dan accent. So every, <laughs> everybody's enjoying something. That's right. I think that's good. You know, so one of the things that I thought as you were talking and, and, you, and you set it up so perfectly where you were saying the things that, that we needed to learn, but the things that were slow to learn, why is EMS slow to learn this? I mean, so when we think about this, we, we know what we have to do. 
but it seems like we're not doing it until we're pushed into a corner and we're made to do it. I mean, so now when we think about this anniversary of 9-11, this should be the reminder that we can't let the status quo continue. We've got to you know, constantly be looking at the vision for the future, you know, use good foresight to grow our career field, you know, and, and, and we're trying to do that. But there are still people that are in the background, Rob, that are fighting it tooth and nail. I think that's a very fair comment. But I also think we have a different year in 2020. And that the fact is, we've had to, we've had to make lots of changes. Most of them have been operational clinical operational obviously for for reasons of covid for reasons of ppe for reasons of making sure our workforce is ready to come to work tomorrow in a fit way and is not infected and so we've done a lot of that type of change um, this year we've and you know it it's taken this life-threatening to our industry event to make it happen um you know and perhaps when we look back at 9 11 a lot of change in fire departments happened because they were at the ground zero and they called it the ground zero of that. Um, EMS right now are at the tip of the spear. Um, and uh, our, our good friend Gary Ludwig uh, coined that phrase elegantly, but uh, I went back into a little bit of history and worked out that uh, somebody once said it's not only the tip of the spear you need, it is the shaft that actually has the power behind it that, that drives things home. So we need everybody in the organisation to actually help us move forward. Yeah, I, I think, Chris, that uh, this year, though, however, that change has happened to our industry and to our career field, as you would say, because of the pandemic. We, we've had to change clinically and adjust our techniques, tactics and procedures rapidly because we've had to worry about PPE. We've had to worry about infection control. We've had to worry about hygiene. Interestingly, of course, you know, we, we've had universal precautions for many years but now, we, you know, in, in the opening phases of this, we use more hand sanitizer and soap and scrubbed our hands more than ever before, which is interesting because we were running out of this stuff where we never ran out of it before. Hmm. What does that mean? What does that tell you? So in other words, we learned. We're learning from that. Sure. Um, and, you know, with 9-11, I think that was the ground zero. And they coined that ground zero for firefighters because they were in the thick of it more than anybody else. And lessons were learned. And the command and control that we just talked about changed. Uh, and they did actually, they learned from that in terms of changing how we do the national incident management system, etc., our incident command system, ICS, etc. Um, this is our ground zero now because we are, we are seeing that we, if we don't do something differently, it will be dangerous. It will be deadly. Uh, we had, sadly, another COVID EMS provider death uh, identified this week as well. And, you know, we are getting towards 50 ambulance workers. Obviously, we've had more firefighters and, and law enforcement officers, etc. But if you did the count of ambulance workers, we're, we're nearing the, the, the 50 mark. Um, and that in itself is cause for some reflection on, well, how can we protect these workers uh, as best we can? And that's something that we have to think about and we have to work out. And we have to make sure that we learn from what's just happened in order to make sure it doesn't happen again. Uh, sadly, I fear there will be more because this is a an evolving scene going on right now. Yeah, and I think you're right. And when we think about what we've tried to do, and this is this is the next level of education, right? So when we think about this, are we ever going to be in a position that we're going to get caught with our pants down 
with, in a pandemic again. And I got to tell you, man, as history comes back around, uh, this is something that we're going to get caught again because we just don't want to keep our level of preparation as high as it needs to be. And, and, I, and, I, and it goes back to the, the point, it makes me think, Rob, is it that we're not taking EMS seriously as leaders either? So if we know that a pandemic can happen at any minute, why are we so surprised or why are we caught off guard when that happens? Or, you know, you know, you mentioned last week about emergency managers, you know, now the, the new breed of emergency managers are keeping us on our toes when it comes to the things that we need to worry about. And one of the things that I wanted to counter at the time was that they may be doing a good job of preparation, but we're not doing a good enough job of getting everybody involved in that preparation. You got a plan somewhere in a file cabinet, but where are the tabletops? Where are the, the true exercises? Where are the, you know, where, where's bringing people in? And, um, you know, we, one of the things that we did in, in Texas at, uh, at MedStar, which I thought was really a best practice, was once a year before the race season, I don't know if they're doing it anymore, they would hold a mass casualty disaster exercise at the Texas Motor Speedway before the race season started. I mean, I think that that's great preparation. But I, I agree. I'm going to agree for part one. But here's, here's my beef. And I was saying this only on a call early, only earlier on today uh, when I was uh, talk, talking about uh, pandemics and contact tracing and testing, etc. And the point being is we are really good at doing the first phase of any mission, which is the response tabletop exercise. We're going to plan where we're going to put our resources. We're going to plan our staging areas. We're going to plan where our ambulance loading points are we're going to plan where the patients are going to go away to hospital etc great and we do that every time because it's the good bit to do right we never do the recovery we never spend time worrying about what's going to happen let's think new orleans for a second what's going to happen in the next week month year oh decade afterwards and so and because it's not us usually it's public works, it's, uh, you know, uh, public utilities. It's all those sort of city-based folk that are responsible for shoveling up, picking up, clearing up and sorting. Um, this time, of course, we've had the mass outbreak with the, the COVID and we're trying to be in the recovery, except this time we, we, we can't back out and go, oh, the emergency's over because we're in the middle of this recovery and we're part of it. And so, you know, we sometimes haven't exercised that piece of the puzzle whether it's a pandemic or whether it's the aftermath of the hurricane you know kelly great case in point and i hope you're listening kelly once again because this is a classic bit about the response exercise and the recovery exercise the news cameras have gone home from louisiana and we're in the middle of recovering kelly's in the middle of recovery we know that you know he's still got power issues etc and so we sometimes pay lip service to the second half of the bit which is the longest bit. Somebody once, I, I certainly studied many great leaders in my time through my professional studies in the army, but you know, somebody once said that winning the war is easy, keeping the peace is hard. And we're into peacekeeping now. And, you know, I've got UN medals for peacekeeping, but you know, ain't going to win one this time. Yeah. And I think that that goes in just the fact of we don't have good after action either. I mean, so when we think about that from the standpoint of what we've learned, and certainly they're not ready for after action in, in Louisiana yet because of this hurricane, but we're good at the response, as you mentioned. We muddle through the, uh, um, you know, the, uh, the, the tail end. And then when it comes to recovery, 
you know, I think it's because we're not sitting down and say, what did we learn? What did we, you know, I, and, I, and I'm going to go on the other side of it. I think lessons learned and mistakes made and, you know, failures are great lessons to move forward if you're taking them to move forward. The first time that you make a mistake, it's a mistake. The second time you make the same thing, it's a choice, Rob. And uh, unfortunately, I think that there's a lot of choices going on. Right. Let me let me change tack for a minute, though, that uh, there's another maritime reference there. And the news this week, of course, is that uh, over the pond in the UK, uh, we had the, the Ariana Grande, the American singer, was having a giving a concert in the UK in the city of Manchester. And of course, there was a bombing. Um, very tragic, very sad. Um, right now, this week, the inquiry is going on, the board of inquiry. And one of the things they found was that the first EMT didn't arrive on scene for 40 minutes now of course that's what's the what do you think is the lesson is the image of that and the lesson that's got to be got to be learned before I work give you my view Chris well I mean but I think we got to know the specific as to what's happening as well yeah. I mean I think that uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of we don't knows uh, were these people staging and it took 40 minutes to get them in or are we just saying that, uh, and I haven't read the story. I know it's, uh, it's a hot story that's out on EMS1. Uh, if you haven't read it, go ahead and check it out. Um, but I need to read that to kind of understand that. But when we talk about the first one didn't arrive on scene in 40 minutes, where were they? I can't believe that uh, they were 40 minutes away from this event. Right, and, and, and that's the thing, as you know, with most incidents, and of course you were a chief and a leader through Ferguson, but they weren't 40 minutes away. They were probably around the corner. But it comes back to an issue of security and scene safety. And sometimes that's the, hard, that's the difficult thing for civilians in whatever, whatever style civilians are to realize that the protocol is that the scene has to be safe from whatever hazard there is. And of course, I'm also an old, an old soldier from the Northern Ireland Trouble days where there wasn't usually one bomb, there was two. You know, because they know the secondary is the one that's going to get the emergency services. And so there has to be a degree of, of clearing. That's a great point. Yeah, 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 point, yeah. Many, many terrorist incidents of my day were secondary devices. And the secondary device got more than the primary because the primary was to, to get the emergency services running. The second one was timed for that event. There were some very tragic incidents where these you know, bombs planted outside hospitals because that's where everybody's going to. So, but the point being is that uh, you know, there are certain scene safety requirements going on. Even in the civil unrest we've had here, there has been some criticism leveled at EMS for not being there immediately because, of course, the scene has to be clear. We, we, we are staged, we are poised, but we're not cleared. And that's something that, uh, again, is, you know, we need to understand what's the lesson we can learn from that. Could we get it get there any quicker was there a lapse in communication and i haven't got into the manchester piece yet but i certainly will do it to a greater degree of depth to see if you know my number one issue communication played a part in that particular yeah, be good to, scene yeah it'd be good to see you know so on this anniversary rob you know as we start to think about uh, we will never forget which is the mantra of september 11th um I mean, do you have kind of a final thought? Do you have a, you know, a piece of advice or, or, or how do you kind of, you know, put yourself into perspective, um, you know, in the positions that you're in um, to know what the September 11th really means? I mean, how, how do you, uh, how do you kind of use this day for reflection? 
Well, I think that's the, the, the key thing first is to lament, is to reflect, is to identify that those firefighters and public safety workers were there and did the thing they swore to do, which was to give their life uh, for to save their fellow man or you know members of mankind. Um, and that's something that when we sign up for this this job, is ultimately something that that is could happen and certainly on september 11th it did and we will never ever forget as as churchill said you know so much has been owed by so many to so few and this is very much a 9-11 example uh, and so with that it kind of makes you think about how can we help this not happen again and of course it's by understanding what happened and then how we can improve change alter and therefore, that's and it's a consistent, continuous process. It's always going on, and we can't stop thinking about, well, how can I improve this? And it's a function of leadership. You know, just because things are all right today doesn't mean they're going to be all right to tomorrow. I know a number of chief executives that you know will tell you that when they go home, they spend a lot of time fretting and have sleepless nights worrying about everything from people to budget to equipment to the life of their providers every single night because sometimes command is a lonely place, uh, but we have to continue to think this is a cycle and it's continuing and we must make sure that the cycle can continue to turn. Yeah. And, and uh, I think that that's a great final thought. You know, for me, I grew up in New York city and, and I'm always showing homage to the city I grew up in. The uh, towers were something that I saw every single day when I left my home. Yeah. And uh, I remember this as if it was uh, just yesterday, I didn't shed a tear until the death of Father Mike, Michael Judd. And, um, you know, it was something that really brings me back. And every year is my time to reflect on what that city meant to me, what those towers meant to me. I mean, I mean we used to go down and hang out in the towers, Rob. We used to go down, they had stores that you would go shopping. And, you know, we'd go down there and try to find dates for the weekend, you know, because all the girls are coming out, right? I mean, we're, we're 18 years old, 17, 18 years old, waiting for the girls to come out to, you know, ask them out for the weekend or whatever it was. And all of a sudden, they're just memories, things that you're never going to be able to do again. My friend asked his wife to marry him and windows on the world, you know, on the top, uh, top floors, you know. And, and uh, on this day of reflection, yeah, you know, you just kind of remember the uh, what what there was, and you have to be able to change the concept of what there is to be. And I don't know that we do that enough. But I want to thank you once again for sitting in for Kelly and joining us. I always enjoyed talking, and you know, I wanted to mention Rob for years. You and I, uh, with Patrick Pianetza yeah. and Don Lundy, we did the EMS Leadership Podcast. And uh, it, it, we did quite a few shows, so those are still an archive. So check out the EMS Leadership Podcast with uh, Rob, myself, uh, Don Lundy, and Patrick Pianenza. We talked about a myriad of uh, leadership topics, and uh, but it reminds me of those days, Rob. So having you here is really a trip down memory lane, and I appreciate you being here. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to be here. And uh, hopefully I won't be here next week. And that's a, and for a good reason. That's that Kelly will be back. So come on, Kelly. We're, we're, we're hoping, we're banking on you coming back, mate. That's right. And for everybody out there, I want to thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. And what does this day mean to you? 
go ahead and put it in the show comments and let us know or go ahead and drop us a line at the show at ems1.com i'm chris sabalero for kelly grayson and our international correspondent rob lawrence we look forward to chatting with everyone again real soon